Rules for Radicals. It's more than just a book. It's something that instills fear in right-wing politicians, pundits, and commentators. The progressive activist and political theorist Saul Alinsky would surely blush, knowing he lives rent-free in the minds of conservatives. Take, for example, the 2016 Republican Convention. One-time presidential candidate Ben Carson made the book the focal point of his speech. Take a listen. Now, one of the things that I have learned about Hillary Clinton is that one of her heroes, her mentors, was Saul Alinsky. And her senior thesis was about Saul Alinsky. This was someone that she greatly admired and that affected all of her philosophies subsequently. Now, interestingly enough, let me tell you something about Saul Alinsky. He wrote a book called Rules for Radicals. On the dedication page, it acknowledges Lucifer, the original radical who gained his own kingdom. Now, think about that. Rules for Radicals, though, goes back decades. Since it was first published in 1971, it's caught the attention of major political figures. It's true, Clinton did write her senior thesis about him. She interviewed him, and she was even offered a job from Alinsky that she turned down to go to Yale Law School. Clinton's love of Alinsky is well-known. Political consultant David Brock called Hillary Alinsky's daughter. The late conservative writer Barbara Olson started each chapter of her 1999 book about Hillary, Hell to Pay, with a quote from Alinsky. And when Obama entered this scene, the conservative commentator circuit went wild. Glenn Beck was obsessed with it, using the book to explain Obama's strategy. In 2008, Rudy Giuliani attacked Obama for being, quote, educated in the Saul Alinsky methods. Monica Crowley and Bill O'Reilly also drilled down on Alinsky and Obama and their connection. Rush Limbaugh even asked if Obama ever, quote, had an original idea. By that, I mean something not found in the Communist Manifesto. Has he? Has he simply had an idea not found in Saul Alinsky's rules for radicals? Andrew Breitbart also touted this sentiment. Newt Gingrich proclaimed that, quote, Saul Alinsky radicalism is the heart of Obama. In the 2012 presidential election, Rudy Giuliani attacked Gingrich's campaign tactics, saying, quote, I expect this from Saul Alinsky. And one of the book's opening quotes also riles up the right. He gives a nod, quote, to the first radical known to man who rebelled against the establishment and did it so effectively that at least won his own kingdom, Lucifer. If they're terrified of Alinsky's influence and traumatized by the fact that he mentioned Lucifer, then why has the right adopted Alinsky's practices as their own? As we go through his 11 rules, it's evident that rules for radicals should be renamed rules for the right. Rule number one, power is not only what you have, but what an opponent thinks you have. If your organization is small, hide your numbers in the dark and raise a den that will make everyone think you have many more people than you do. How does the right do this? Well, they pick the latest culture war victim and side with them. They love to appear on the trendiest podcast or defend any man accused of rape on the right. They want that automatic approval of the core base. It's a way to get a lot of chatter for yourself and free PR. Just align with the cause. Your support will appear much bigger than it actually is because talk is cheap. It's all about the likes, retweets, follows, engagement, subscribers, views, etc. If you get a lot of activity online, then you must have a big following, right? Those on the right act like because they made a splash online that it gives them more power. But online hype is like junk food. 
It's void of any value. In 2022, Republicans kept talking about the red wave. You would have thought they already won the midterms. It was all but settled that the GOP would have the victory. Then they barely eked out a lead in the House. The red wave got a big blue invader. I have news for you. Everyone is going to look at a train wreck. Just because it gets a lot of attention on the internet doesn't mean it has any value. Rule number two, never go outside the experience of your people. The result is confusion, fear, and retreat. The experience on the right is small for sure. Bobert is a high school dropout. Marjorie Taylor Greene grifted her experience off the family business. Matt Gates is a Nepo baby. I could go on and on. But take a glance at their messaging online. It's not very deep. It's surface level, ad hominem attacks. Remember Bobert saying if Jesus had a gun, he wouldn't have been killed? Or Gates saying an abortionist activist looked like a thumb? When you have limited experience and a very small brain, you're not going to say things that are very smart. It's not very hard to stay within your own realm of experience for the Republican Party when your own clowns have the brain power of a toddler. Rule number three, whenever possible, go outside the experience of an opponent. Here you want to cause confusion, fear, and retreat. A great example of this is all the interviews the right has been pushing about people who have detransitioned. How many people have been transsexual, had surgery, and then detransitioned? That's a small pool of humans to pick from. So who can really speak to this? It's a personal choice. It's also something the loudest people on both sides of the aisle don't have any experience with. There's no better way to go outside of someone's own personal experience than talking about people who have had their genitals cut off. Rule number four, make opponents live up to their own book of rules. Conservatives nail this spot on when it comes to the environment. How many primetime monologues or congressional speeches have you heard that point out the left's hypocrisy about them flying on private jets, building homes along the coast, or driving gas-guzzling vehicles? Rule number five, ridicule is man's most potent weapon. It's hard to counterattack ridicule, and it infuriates the opposition, which then reacts to your advantage. Marjorie Taylor Greene, Boebert, Gates. Their only skill is being obnoxious, and it shows. They don't engage people on principled arguments or policy discussions. It's always a smug, pompous, arrogant, self-aggrandizing, and cacophony of insults that aim to build themselves up while tearing someone else down. Their entire M.O. is ridicule. Rule number six, a good tactic is one your people enjoy. Whether they enjoy it or not, how would I know? I'm not in the inner circle. But they do this stuff all day long, and they make themselves look like fools, and they keep coming back for more. So they must love it. Rule number seven, a tactic that drags on for too long becomes a drag. Commitment may become ritualistic as people turn to other issues. Enter Ron DeSantis and his war on woke. Remember how we went crazy about Disney? Remember when he used to talk about woke policies and Mickey Mouse all the time? DeSantis's campaign wised up that this woke scare and his tactics had flamed and burned out. In fact, in August, DeSantis said that he had, quote, moved on from Disney. Moved on? That was his whole bailiwick. That was his thing. But I guess when you're a finger licker and you just go whichever the wind blows, that's what happens. Rule number eight, keep the pressure on. Use different tactics and actions and use all events of the period for your purpose. Just think, how much do we hear about transsexuals? It's pretty much the only thing people talk about in politics right now, especially right-wing conservatives. What about those questions, what is a woman? All those videos mocking transsexuals on social media that conservative commentators love to produce. Their big fear over drag queen story hour. 
And the scare tactics about transsexuals in the bathroom. Oh, my God. How long have they talked about that one? It's relentless. It's the lion's share of complaining on the right. Believe it or not, a transsexual in the public bathroom is not my biggest problem right now. The economy, inflation, rising gas prices, and a potential war with Russia, that is. Nevertheless, the right won't let up the pressure on trans individuals. Why? It's too easy to have an opinion on this topic. It only takes a couple brain cells to know what you think about it. Rule number nine, the threat is more terrifying than the thing itself. What about drag queen story hour? How scary can this really be? Is it weird? Yeah. Would I take my kids to it? Hell no. But that's it. Don't take your kids to it and it won't affect you. If other parents want to, then why does it even take up space in your brain? Screaming and yelling about Drag Queen Story Hour is something that sounds a lot scarier than it actually is. Is it sexual and something I wouldn't want to go see with my children? Yeah. But if some parents want to expose their kids to that and explain what drag queens are to their toddlers, that's their decision. Just like it's someone's right to not make a cake for a gay wedding. Everyone has the right to live their life the way they want, as long as it doesn't affect anyone else. But this garish and outlandish fear tactics that drag queens are lurking behind every corner to read books to kids is a little much. This is just a reminder that conservatives don't really mean it when they say they love liberty. I mean, they're just too small-minded and insecure to let anyone else do something that's different from them. They're scared of difference. There were lots of things my mom didn't let me do, and she didn't care what others thought. I never went trick-or-treating for religious reasons. People thought it was odd, sure, but she didn't rant and rave about it. She wasn't so insecure about her decision that she started a campaign to make sure no other kid in the neighborhood could go trick-or-treating. Rule number 10, the price of a successful attack is a constructive alternative. Avoid being trapped by an opponent or an interviewer who says, okay, what would you do? Now, this is the one rule that seems to evade both sides of the aisle. When in politics, do people even pretend to offer a solution these days? It's all talking points and accusations. Just wreck the opponent on the other side. Or your side. You saw the last GOP debate. Who was even giving a solution? When they attacked each other, it was over such petty stuff. I don't think anyone fears being asked how to solve a problem in politics in the 21st century. They all just focus on memorizing their zingers and one-liners to retaliate. Rule number 11, pick the target, freeze it, personalize it, polarize it. Well, again, the conservatives have aced this one. What about all those man-on-the-street interviews, the Change My Mind series, watch liberals get wrecked and liberals get destroyed? You've seen this clickbait all over YouTube. This type of content does exactly what this rule says. Pick a target, a liberal, freeze it. Stop them on the street randomly. Personalize it. Ask about abortion or trans rights. Polarize it. Frame a question that is geared to offend the opposite political party. Better yet, do it on a college campus where you know everyone's going to argue with you. Now, all these 11 rules have become the backbone of the Republican Party. Now that you're aware of them, you'll probably start seeing them everywhere. It started as a way for the left to gain power and influence. But just because it's now benefiting the other side of the aisle doesn't make it right. Just because its use is equal doesn't mean it's less dangerous. Using bullying, childish, manipulative tactics like these may help you win the battle, but you'll lose the war. These rules only make the country worse. It sows division among Americans, it dumbs down the population, and it doesn't solve any of the real issues. Remember, play stupid games, win stupid prizes. Thanks for listening to Overnight Opinions. Be sure to tune in next Sunday night for an all-new episode. In the meantime, be sure to check out the Ladies Love Politics channel on TikTok, Instagram, Brighty on Social, and YouTube.